Good morning. If you're still lacking a seat, come on in. There's some seats up front. I'm Susan Van Riesen, and it's my privilege to be the lead pastor here at the Palo Alto Vineyard Church, and it's great to see all of your faces and to know that you are joining us online. So I hope you're doing well this morning, and um, I want to begin with a question. So by a quick show of hands, who here has played the game Two Truths and a Lie? How many of you? Okay, many of us. That's great. So if you're not familiar with this, this is a kind of an icebreaker game, a group game, where the goal of the game is you come up with three statements about yourself. Two of them are true and one is a lie. And it's just a way for people to get to know each other, right? So, um, and you go around the room and someone shares your three statements and people guess which one is the lie. Now, a thing about this game is that it's not really fun if you make it completely obvious which statement is a lie and which statement are the statements are the truth. So, for example, if my three statements are, one, I live in Palo Alto. Two, I am the mom of three kids. Three, Taylor Swift and I are best friends. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Some of you know me well, and some of you don't. No, I'm just kidding. This one is really obvious and kind of awkward and really not that fun. It's kind of obvious. So I suggest to you that if you're playing this game, the crazier and interesting and more outlandish the facts are, the harder it will be to tell which ones are true and which ones are false. And then it becomes more interesting and you kind of are intrigued by each other and you get to know each other and you mix it up and you throw people off. So, for example, uh, another example, uh, which might be a better set, is number one, my father was on the first Korean equestrian team to compete in the Olympics. Number two, I was on the first I was the first Asian-American all-around cheerleading stunt champion in the state of Oregon. Number three, my sister disappointed cellist Yo-Yo Ma by becoming a doctor. Okay, so those are kind of interesting, right? And just to keep you in that stage and that mode of curiosity and being intrigued, I'm not going to tell you the answer. And you'll have to see, how well do you know me? Or you can ask me afterwards. Okay, so here's my point. That in terms of this game, it's just much more fun and much more interesting if you have kind of crazy, audacious facts rather than just boring ones, right? I wish we had the time to play two truths and a lie in our congregation or even somehow online. Right? I wish we could turn to each other in little groups of four or five and say, let's play two truths and a lie because it is a very interesting way to get to know you. But I will say that I am going to share three crazy outlandish statements about Jesus in my sermon today in order to help you to get a sense of who Jesus said that he was. 
Now, I just have to note that I was practicing my sermon last night with one of my daughters. And at this point, she interrupted me and said, Mom, are you going to embed a lie in your sermon? And I was like, no. (laughs) So my point is not that I have two truths and a lie in my sermon. But my point is, it is more interesting if you have crazy, outlandish, audacious statements. Okay? But first, before I jump into it, let me remind us all that today we are continuing, I think this is the sixth in our seven-week series called Explore God. And in these weeks, we've joined with hundreds of other churches and ministries in the Bay Area who are interacting with these important questions um, about life and faith and God and just having on-ramps for all of us, whether you're... um, a very experienced religious person, or you have no background of religion, these are all questions that we wrestle with, that many people wrestle with. So today we are addressing the question, is Jesus God? Is Jesus God? And let me start with what does make sense for all of us today. Who here believes that Jesus was a real person who walked the earth Many thousands of years ago. Anyone? Okay. Most of us uh, have common ground in that. Research shows that the historical Jesus, that that Jesus, most of us believe that Jesus was a real person who lived in the first century. According to Barna Research, 92% of Americans say that they believe in a historical Jesus. 92%. And I would say that there is good reason for that. There is an overwhelming amount of historical evidence that a person named Jesus walked the earth at a very specific time in history. And no historian of repu- uh, uh, a reputable historian disputes that about Jesus that, that Jesus the man existed. However, While an overwhelming majority of people believe that a man named Jesus existed in the first century, the idea of Jesus being God is another story altogether. That's like a step up in a significant way, right? It's a huge leap to jump from believing that Jesus was an actual person to believing that this person was God who came to earth, right? I think some of us have heard that concept so much, but let's just think for a second. That's like a really big step. Just think about what a crazy thing it is that Jesus said he was God who came to earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I went to two birthday parties yesterday, and I have another one this afternoon. So this is a major time of mixing it up, meeting new people. I really like that. So um, it was really fun for me. So yesterday I went to two birthday parties and I chatted with, a, I met a bunch of new people. A, I met a child psychiatrist, a cellist, a dietitian, And I'm kind of one of those people that's like everything, you know, people's lives. I'm like, oh, you're a micro neurobiologist. That's so fascinating. You know, you're this. Like I want to ask them a million questions about what they do. And if I met someone and they told me that they were a passionate teacher with a lot of wisdom for everyone that could benefit many people, you might think, wow, that's very confident of you. 
maybe a little arrogant, but that's not like super weird, right? But if that person told you that they were God in human form, right? You're like, and what do you do? Like, Jane is a dietitian. How about you? And they're like, I'm God in human form. That might be a different thing altogether, right? Right? You might be like, okay, big emotional step backwards. Look, they're serving cake. (laughs) Generally, it is a concerning thing to hear from someone. But the truly weird thing about Jesus is that he claimed to be God. A person who claimed to be God. And at this point in history, we look back and we can see that even stranger, a lot of people believed him. He claimed to be God. And we see that a lot of people believed him. I mean, how? Why? What does that even mean? And was this guy, Jesus, actually God? Well, let me start again where we have common ground, the historical Jesus. And let's take a look at what the historical Jesus had to say about himself. I suggest that we go and find out what Jesus said about himself in the Bible. But wait, you might say, how do we know that the Bible is reliable? That's a great question. My friend, two weeks ago, my friend, Pastor Paul Taylor from uh, Peninsula Bible Church down the street actually came and preached on that very question. And if you're intrigued or if that's a question that you have, I strongly encourage you to go to our YouTube page and watch that uh, sermon. I found it really helpful. But today, let's go to the primary writings about Jesus, written by Jesus' friend and follower, John, the Apostle John. John was a witness, an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry, and he wrote about a time when Jesus was walking in, a very specific time, where Jesus is walking in the temple courts, and he's surrounded by Jewish religious leaders, and they are prodding him with loaded questions. And at one point, they ask him this question. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, that and Messiah means the one sent from God to save his people, tell us plainly. So Jesus is being surrounded by these people who are like, hey, if you're the Messiah, just lay it out. Tell us. Now, to be clear, the Jewish leaders at the time did not like Jesus at all. Right? Because Jesus did all sorts of annoying things like healing on the Sabbath and uh, when people weren't supposed to be doing work. And they were jealous because people started following him and not their rules and their systems. So they wanted to dig up any dirt that they could about Jesus to bring him down. So here in the temple courts, they decided to try to trick Jesus into saying something awful, saying something unpopular. Something crazy and disrespectful, like saying that he was God. Saying that he was the Messiah is tantamount to saying that he's God. So Jesus Jesus responded in this way. He says, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. 
and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Now hold that thought there. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Did you catch that? Especially that last part where he says, I and the father are one. And these people would have understood by saying the father, he's talking about God, the father. So here's crazy truth. Number one, Jesus says about himself that he and the father are one, that he is God. This is the first time we hear Jesus claiming this crazy truth that he and God, the father are one, one and the same. And the Jewish religious leaders immediately think this is a lie. By claiming to be one with the Father, they knew what Jesus is saying. He was saying, I am God. In those days, if anyone claimed to be God, this was considered blasphemy, which uh, the punishment for blasphemy was death by stoning. So as soon as Jesus said these words, his enemies got the dirt that they wanted. They picked up stones to kill him. Although, spoiler alert, Jesus escaped before they could stone him to death in this context. So when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, he's not only talking about who he is, but what he does. His mission and his purpose are fully aligned with the Father to love and save his people And to give them, as he said earlier in this quote, eternal life. He's like, that's what God the Father's about. That's what I'm about too. And if you think about that, I mean, who can do that? Human beings don't have the authority to give eternal life, right? Can you imagine? I know we have some doctors in this room, right? My sister's a doctor. I go to the doctor. I go to many, many doctors. Imagine if you were... At your uh, a doctor's appointment for a checkup, and then you hear her say, "Hey, I have some great news for you. Your diet, your exercise, your health regimen—they are working so well. As a matter of fact, you're going to live forever." What would that be like? You'd be like, "Oh, that's um, whoa, Doctor Weirdo, you've kind of crossed the line there," because human beings don't have that authority, right? By clearly, by his own words, Jesus thinks that he is qualified to offer people eternal life. So that's crazy truth number two that Jesus reveals. That because he's God, he has the power to give eternal life. Now, I realize that to believe that someone who walked the earth like you and me has the power to give eternal life to people, that is no small pill to swallow. Sometimes you, you, you sit down and you, and, and I think, yeah, these things that I believe as a Christian, it's good to go, yeah, that's weird. That's crazy. That's a really crazy, audacious thing to think. So, I think Jesus understood that too. I think Jesus knew this is Kind of a big and intense thing. He knew that it would be hard for people to look at him, a person 
and accept his claim. I am God. So what did Jesus do? He comes with evidence. He challenged people to consider what they saw with his their own eyes. His miracles, or what was called signs and wonders, and there were plenty of them. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. But there is one miracle that far outweighs them all. Think about it this way. Uh, there are few things more amazing than, to use basketball language, to call your own shot and then make it. So in sports, I'm not a big sports girl, but I know a few basic things. In sports, the greatest shooter in NBA history is... Okay, good, Stephen Curry. He has made the most three-pointers in a season ever. He makes it look totally easy. Um, fans watching in disbelief whenever he uh, he does that, whenever he steps on the court, makes a three-pointer. It's almost like he just like looks at the basket, calls his shot, and makes it, right? Have you ever seen him play? It's crazy. Like he's saying, I am Steph Curry. I will make this shot. Similarly, Jesus backs up his claim of I am by saying, I will. And it's the I will that sets him apart from every other person in this world, in the history of the world. Let me explain with another writing from John. There's another incident where Jesus is kicking people out of the temple for using it as a place to make money themselves. And can you imagine what would it take for Jesus to kick people out of anywhere? Any context where Jesus is so upset, he's kicking people out of a place. It was quite a scene, and the Jewish people demanded that Jesus tell them by what authority he's doing this. And he answers with these words. Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? Then John, the author of this, says, adds this clarifying comment. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Okay, so the Jewish people are confused by this. They're like, why are you talking about the temple like falling down and being raised? And what does that have to do with anything? But we see in the teachings of Jesus that Jesus is always using metaphors and similes when explaining something really deep and difficult. And John helped us by writing his interpretation that the temple that Jesus was referring to was a metaphor for his body. And there's a lot of like historical depth for that image. John points out that when Jesus came back from the dead, his disciples recalled this conversation and finally understood that Jesus was pointing to his resurrection. He was saying, I am God, I will rise from the dead, and he does it. Because humans can't raise people from the dead, am I right? Only God can raise people from the dead. And this is the crazy, audacious statement about Jesus number three. That Jesus resurrected from the dead. Jesus resurrected from the dead. And the evidence 
my friends, is vast. Historic accounts of this resurrection was written by many eyewitnesses. Matthew, the tax collector, was an eyewitness, believed Jesus. Mark got his information from Peter, who was an eyewitness, and he believed. Luke, a doctor and a historian, thoroughly researched this account and believed. And John, who we're talking about here, we're quoting, is an eyewitness, and he, too, believed. In 1 Corinthians 15.6, the Apostle Paul is writing to Corinth, and he describes a time where Jesus appeared to over 500 people following his resurrection. That he came back to life and 500, over 500 people saw him with their own eyes. They were eyewitnesses. And this new movement off of what people saw, this church, exploded after Jesus' resurrection. People who believed took action. They, they believed it so much that they took action on it and it just grew into a movement. The number of Jesus' followers grew from just a handful to six million people by the year 300. So within a, just a few hundred people, 100 years, 10% of the world at that time were believers in Jesus. And the main message that they believed in wasn't, yeah, he was a good teacher, which some people believe now. And it wasn't, yeah, he was a really good friend, which some of us are tempted to think that's all it is. But they believed that he died and rose from the dead. That's why all these people got so excited. They believed that the guy died and rose from the dead. Isn't that crazy? He's the one who said, I am and I will. And then he did. So Billy Graham, who's the evangelist and minister and uh, a very influential Christian leader in the 20th century, said, there is more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead that, that there, than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived or that Alexander the Great died at age 33. There's so much historical evidence. And there's an um, investigative journalist and um, a former atheist named Lee Strobel, and he, he wrote this. I went to a psychologist friend and said that if 500 people claimed to see Jesus after he died, it was just a hallucination. That's what he thought when he was an atheist. But the psychologist said, hallucinations are an individual event. If 500 people have the same hallucination, then that's a bigger miracle than the resurrection. But I want you to know that it's not just what Jesus did or who he was that makes him God. It's about what Jesus is doing now and what he will do in the future. I I realize I told you that I would give you three crazy truths, but I'm going to now give you two bonus crazy truths. So bonus crazy truth number four um, is that Jesus is at work in our lives now. And we call this, we understand that this is by his Holy Spirit, his presence, even after he died and rose again. So let me give you an example of what this means. Years ago, when I went to college, I was aware of the first three statements 
that Jesus made about himself, right? I grew up in a church, and I was aware that Jesus claimed to be God, that he said, I can give eternal life, and that he was resurrected from the dead. I was very, if somebody, if you ask me, have you heard of this? Do you believe it? I'd be like, yeah. But I gotta say that my general mode was, yeah, okay, so what? Because when I went to, at that moment, I was like, right now, I need to make friends. I gotta go to classes. I need to choose a major. I need to figure out what I'm doing with my life, right? So thank you, that's great, good for you, rising from the dead, awesome. But I'm a little preoccupied. But as I started studying the Bible, as I started making friends with and hanging out with and being influenced by other Christians, I started realizing, wait a minute, I think there's something happening in my life in my mind, in my heart, that's drawing me toward this person, Jesus. I began to have this yearning for God, this interest, this curiosity. And it started as a little flicker, but then it began to grow. And I started being concerned about things that he was concerned about, about healing, and about justice, and about forgiving people who had hurt me. And I started caring more about those things. And I started thinking about what I wanted to do with my life. And I started thinking about maybe that there was something that I was made for by a creator that I might want to become, rather than just winning the accomplishment game, which was more the mode that I was in before. And I began to wonder, whoa, what is going on with me? What is going on? This is different. And a friend who knew what was going on with me, who I talked to, said, you know what's going on? Jesus is in your life. He's like in your life, present, alive, active, doing something in your life. And then the life of the people group that you're in. He's actually in your life. And I became aware of this, and I couldn't deny it, and I felt like, that's crazy, but good. It was better than anything that had ever come before. Bonus crazy truth number five. Jesus will come again. He talked about it a lot. I googled it, and there was a lot of times where Jesus is like, I'm coming back. I died. I'm resurrected. I'm going to the Father. I will make space for you. There will be a time, and no one will know exactly what time, but I am coming back. You know, I think about this world, and it's full of such beauty, right? went out to dinner last night, and at the table next to us was this little baby. And I couldn't even eat my food because I was like, that baby is so beautiful. It was such a sense of awe about just things that are beautiful in this world, like mountains and science when it goes really well, 
and excellent Japanese food. I mean, there are things of awe in this world. Am I right? Things that just make you wonder. But this world is also full of horrendous, ridiculous misery and suffering. Like we think about what is going on in Israel and Palestine right now. It's just like, what? Or in Ukraine or or in uh, last week we prayed about the Nagorno-Karabakh region in between um, Armenia and Azerbaijan. And because I care about an Armenian friend, I did some research and I just thought, that's ridiculous. It's this seemingly unending cycle of injustice and violence and brutality. But here's the thing. Jesus said again and again that he would come back. And of that time, none of us would know. But when he does, he will bring about a new heaven and a new earth. And he will make all things new. And it's hard to believe because all things are not new at this time. It's written in the book of Revelation, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And this is the crazy truth about Jesus, that he is our hope for the future of this world. And as believers, we don't just sit down then and go, okay, hope he comes soon. Now we are shaped by his values and what he promises to bring and we are a part as we pray every week that we are that we pray that our resources our time and our ourselves that we would be a part of the goodness and the justice and the healing that he will fully bring at some point but i gotta tell you that i can't place my hope in what i you the church christians are going to do about the fallenness of this world i gotta place my hope in the fact that jesus himself will bring back rightfulness and he promises to this is also what it means that jesus is god dr king dr martin luther king said um, something that is quoted by many people he said that the arc of the moral universe bends toward justice and i think that's something that brings encouragement and hope to many people. And I believe it's true. And I hold on to that. But I want us to know that Dr. King didn't say that just because just because that's how the moral universe is. He said that because of Jesus. Dr. King knew and understood and held on to the truth that there is an ultimate hope coming in who Jesus is. And that is why we can endure and work and try As a pastor, I see people searching all the time, and I think that's great. It's so important that we're honest about our search, about our processes, about our questions, and about our doubts. And for some people, it's mostly an intellectual search, that some of us are skeptical, and we questioned what we were taught or once believed. And for others, it's a search because our friends, our families, started asking questions of God and we, too, become curious about that. 
And for others, it's because we're on a place in our life journey where other things are not working for us. And we realize, oh man, I need help. Could that be God? But I need a sign. I need you to come in and help me, encourage me. So we're all on journeys of of a spiritual uh, questioning and doubt and growth and all of that. But the thing that binds us together is that at some point, we must all decide. And actually not just once. We must decide again and again. And we'll be asked, as Peter was in the Gospel account of Matthew, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? When Jesus walked the earth, he asked his best friends that question too. He asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So I ask us all today, whether you've answered that question before or never, who do you say? That Jesus is. Who do you say that Jesus is? And if he is who he said he was, if Jesus is God, then will you follow him? Will you step closer to him? Will you embrace all of what he is and taught? Who do you say that Jesus is? Is. I'm think 